Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. So welcome back to the New Books Network, New Books in Jewish Studies. I'm Danielle Drory, and with me is Maya Barzilai, Assistant Professor of Hebrew Literature and Jewish Culture at the University of Michigan, and the author of the book Golem, Modern Wars and Their Monsters, which was published by New York University Press um, last year. Hi, Maya. Hello, Danielle. How are you? Uh, I'm well. Thank you for joining the New Books Network today. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm very pleased to talk about the new book. So before we start discussing this truly captivating um, scholarly book, um, we should probably present the book's protagonist, the golem. Could you describe this creature and its um, genesis for our listeners? Yeah, I mean, the the term golem goes all the way back to antiquity and even the Bible, where it was first used in Psalm. Um, But it didn't mean the golem that you're imagining, maybe um, the clay monster that we now all think about that's kind of captivated our visual and literary imagination. In the Talmud and in ancient sources, um, rabbis dealt with artificial creation, but it didn't really become a monster or a creature like that. And usually it was also um, put out of its existence very quickly. Um, later on in um, kind of medieval Kabbalistic texts, uh, we have um, people experimenting with artificial creation more for the sake of a mystical experience than actually, you know, using a clay servant. And that's where we, though we see the, the form, the matter, of coming into being with clay as the major kind of way of making shaping this golem and all kinds of kabbalistic formulations used for the process of animation um, usually using hebrew letters um, to animate the golem Um, my own book though doesn't deal so much with this mystical side of the golem that was you know thoroughly explored by gershom sholem and later moshe idel um, in their work, but more with the legendary golem, the golem that was um, described already starting in the 17th century in European treatises, oftentimes by Christian authors. And this is a golem that is uncontrollable. It, um, In the Polish stories, it grows and grows and grows until it topples over the creator, killing it in the process. Um, this is also the golem that has the letters uh, Aleph Mem Taf, meaning emet or truth in Hebrew, um, inscribed on its forehead. And when the first letter Aleph is erased, we remain with death, met, and then that's when the golem loses its life. So that's a very early version, actually, that was also um, surprisingly taken up by Jacob or Jacob Grimm, um, the famous Grimm of the Grimm brothers, um, and... Um, written by him, and that really influenced uh, German Romanticism. And the golem was taken up in that area 
um, of literature. But we also are very familiar with the Prague version, which is a little bit different, in which um, Rabbi Lev, the Maharal of Prague, um, the, the famous teacher, um, who was actually a great rationalist, but um, in the Golem legends, he's a, a mystical um, creator. He forms a golem out of clay to serve him in his synagogue, just basically to be the beetle or the shamash um, in the synagogue. And he uses, um, you know, God's explicit name, Hashem HaMeforash, um, as the animating device. And this golem has to rest on the Sabbath or else it will run amok. And that's what actually happens one time when the rabbi forgets to remove the animating name, then the golem goes crazy and it has to be deanimated. And the whole mythology of kind of returning to the synagogue, repeating Psalms again, and storing the remains of the golem in the attic of the synagogue, that also inspired a lot of writers to think about what happened to those remains and how they might have come back to life in later generations to help the Jews, to protect the Jews. But in the Prague story, the, rabbi, the golem is not a protector. He is just a servant of the rabbi in the early versions. It's only later in the early 20th century that we have a golem that protects the community from anti-Semitic attacks from blood libels. So, so that's this, just on, in a nutshell, and there's so much more to say, the, right, the short history. Right, but this was a story that was told and retold and is still being told um, and retold in, in, in different ways. Um, and... Uh, from your book, I could gather that it's not always easy to understand how the story traveled. Um, and and I am interested to know how it traveled to you, to your desk, and what <laughs> attracted you to this creature, or how did this project start? Um, this is a great question, because sometimes people ask me, did you hear about the golem as a kid? And I, the answer is actually no. Um, I know that there were songs about, there's even a famous Bialik Hebrew song about the golem, but I have to say it's not as prevalent in the, in Israel, and at least when I was growing up, it wasn't something um, that in Israeli secular, um, and you also grew up there. You can Right, no, I definitely. Um, I, it's not as familiar as it is in the United States. And, and I actually reached a conclusion about that in my book um, that has to do with the fact that this is a really a diasporic story about a weak community that needs protection uh, and that didn't really mesh well with the Zionist ideal of independence, of self-assertion, of, mil you know, of Jewish militarism. You don't really, once you have the IDF, why would you need a golem? And during my PhD studies, I encountered two really important works that, that influenced me. And one was um, Paul Wegener's 1920 film, The Golem Via in Die Weltkam, The Golem, How He Came Into the World. And the other is Shai Agnon, the Hebrew prose writer, Nobel Prize winners, um, Athena to this day, um, a kind of, I call it an aborted novel, a short novel. Um, that has as its main protagonist a war-injured soldier, a German soldier, non-Jewish, um, who's nicknamed Golem. He forgets he's brain-injured, he does not know his name, where he came from, and he's just called Golem throughout the narrative. And so that fascinated me when I suddenly put the two together, thinking Agnon wrote the text in the 50s, but he's writing about World War I, and Paul Wegener was a 
soldier in the war, a survivor of very traumatic battles, um, a post-traumatic, actually, um, now we would call it post-traumatic stress, suffering of post-traumatic stress disorder, but actually shell shock, um, film director and actor. And he goes back, comes back from war, decides to make a third Golem film. He already made two, but he needed to make another one right after the war. And we have, but he doesn't talk about the war explicitly in his film. It just, it's there as a presence. Um, aesthetically and otherwise. And then we have Agnon explicitly making that connection and trying to kind of wonder why the Golem was so popular during World War I. Um, and so that's that's what really brought me to this topic, the popularity of this story in Germany during the war. And even though it's not really part of Israeli popular culture, as you just pointed out, you do show in your book that the golem as a metaphor, as a figure, um, comes up in Israeli culture, um, or should we say in, in Zionist culture, it's, it's, it's really in, in, in the beginning of uh, the, the state of Israel. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that and how you even found out that um, that, that, that it came up? Because this is not necessarily in a literary work, uh, right. But but rather in the culture I should in general. Say, I should say that, I, you know, my training is in comparative literature. And I, I started off with, you know, looking at the golem as a figure in whatever cinematic or drama or dramatic or literary texts. But as I delved into the material more and started reading also the, the introductions to work, reading letters and reading the printed press of the time period, I really understood that this is a golem metaphor or metaphorics, um, that there was, the golem was an idea, not just a figure that actually, you know, it can be molded and told in different ways, but also a metaphor that people played with to express ideas about soldiers, wars, enemies, weapons. You know, I give all kinds of examples in the book, crazy like, um, the weapons used during World War II were often compared to golems because of their automatic, for that period, um, and destructive nature. Um, you know, armies are compared to golems. And in the Israeli context, I was really surprised to discover that around 1948, um, before and after, um, and during the war, actually, um, the Arab League, um, that, that conglomeration of seven nation, Arab nations, was described as a golem, was described as an artificial creation of the British and the European nation. It was see, seen as some kind of fake, um, and but also monstrous because of its size and supposed strength. Um, so in addition to kind of having a Goliath-David analogy between the IDF and, um, and the Arab League of Nations, we also had a golem comparison. And... Um, and even during the swearing-in of the Israeli army, which took place in Tel Aviv in the Habima Square, um, Moshe Shared, then the foreign minister, um, evoked the golem and talked about this false and bogus inflated image of the Arab League and how you know, the Israeli army it, can defeat it. So I thought that was really surprising. And it also links again to what I talked about earlier about how the golem is projected onto the enemy and no longer is identified with the Jewish self and its need for protection, but rather it's, it's, it's projected onto the enemy and really the things that are highlighted are how it's made of different parts and really bound to collapse, that it will not, 
or even rebel against its creator, the British. Um, so that that is, that is just an interesting development, I think, in right, the Israeli and, cultural sphere. Um, definitely, and and it's very interesting um, in general how you connect in your book the golem and warfare. Uh, because you do point out that there are golems that are less related to the issue of war, but the the tension of warfare is also a tension that the golem captures between protection and destruction and defending and killing. And reading the mm -hmm. book, I was interested to know whether this was your initial intention uh, to connect the two or something that that came up once you started delving into the materials? Yes. Um, actually, from the day one, as I described, when I saw the connection made by Agnon, he was kind of my, he led me into it. I really see him as a cultural critic in addition to an amazing author. Um, and he's a very good cultural critic of Germany, actually. Um, and I really... Um, when I read that book, you know, it's been really read as an allegory about World War II, but I really understood it as talking literally about the devastation of World War I and um, trying to kind of think about why, and this is a question that is actually not so obvious, um, that, you know, how to answer and how to approach it, why during a period of immense destruction and death and, and all this wounding that's happening, are people fascinated with artificial creation, with creating a new kind of human? Um, and with the issues of like, what does it mean actually to be human? It opens up um, all these questions of what is humanity in, a, in, the, in an era of intense warfare and changes to how we perceive um, technology and society and the relationship between them. So that, so, was, actually, that was actually the impetus for the whole book from the very start, but I have to confess that throughout the process, which took 10 years approximately, I actually thought at some point of, you know, putting the war thing aside and uh, opening it up to be, you know, to talk more about kind of the beginning of cinema and how it uses, you know, the idea of animation, um, how cinema animates and all these kinds of other things that are more general. Um, and then I came back to it because I, it did, the materials convinced me, you know, all the things that came up in the, both the Yiddish and the Hebrew and the German um, press and on all the materials kind of surrounding these really fascinating literary texts convinced me to come back to it and, and, and kind of say, well, this is a, a, not the only trend, but a major trend in the 20th century reinterpretation of, or readaptation of the Golem story. And, and a very timely one, because you're asking, um, what, what, what is humanity, as, as you said, if it can destroy itself, if it can create artificial, well, in, not intelligence in the case of the golem, but, if, but that becomes part of your book in, in um, the final chapters. Um, and uh, maybe you can elaborate a little bit on, on that, but then I would like to go back to what you just told me and really surprised me that there was a point in which you thought you would uh, you should abandon the connection between war and, and, and the golem. So could you tell us a little bit, a little bit about um, artificial intelligence and, and, and humanity and technology um, through the prism of the golem? Um, so... Th one of the starting points that I could begin with is um, the golem condition, which is a term that I use in the introduction. And um, 
and throughout the book, um, which is really my take on the human condition. The human condition is the title of um, of a scholarly, very important um, philosophical scholarly work by the philosopher Hannah Arendt, who immigrated um, to the United States from Germany and wrote the book in English, but then translated it herself into um, German. And, you know, I think... Um, in that book, she's really dealing with two things that are bothering her. And it's not actually the atomic energy. It's space travel and, um, and artificial intelligence. And she, she believes that those two things have the power to change what she calls the human condition. Um, the human condition is, is kind of something that's, you know, the very fact that we are conditioned, first of all, that we we are born on this earth, that we die on this earth, and we cannot escape those those bookends. You know, within the human condition, then there are other um, capacities for for work and and labor and to to mold the world that we have around us, to communicate with each other, to create you know publics. But but the fact that you know for her, both travel outside of the planet Earth <laughs> and artificial creation really threaten. Um, the the this given this present that we have been given, which is we're supposed to protect it, which is our own life on Earth, um, and that without it, you know, there there is a certain um, possibility of kind of the end to human life, and and I thought that that was a very evocative, you know, formulation and and way of thinking about also technology and the desire to escape. Um, through technology to escape our, our given humanity. Um, and the golem, in a way, embodies that desire, but also shows its breakdown always, because it is made of clay of earth, first of all. So in a sense, even though it's gigantic and strong, it is a clay entity. It's, it has that vulnerability of the earth that, that connects the human being to earth. So it, it always has that vulnerable side. And in every single golem adaptation that I worked on, the vulnerability and the kind of desire for humanity within the artificial creation is so present. And that's a big motif in the 20th century. And also, you know, authors have depicted the golem as, as a very de deficient creature. I mean, it has its its strength and its abilities, but it's also very limited um, in various ways, whether through mutinous, whether through its own kind of anger and rebellion that, turn, that ultimately leads to its destruction. And whether, you know, it's used as a metaphor, like an agnon for the war-injured soldier. So I think, you know, the, the golem is this amazing way to think about the destructive tendencies inherent in our own technological progress. Um, but also to think about how everything, you know, everything that is constructed, every new attempt to escape the human condition has its kind of vulnerable, destructive side built into it. Even if it's very that low tech. Some of their, no, it yeah. it does it does, um, but um, I want to go. Yes, back. it is low tech. Yeah, it's, you're right. Yeah, that, yeah. that the volume is low tech, but of course, in in later science fiction, it's imagined as extremely high tech. Right. Yeah, as uh, a very very advanced computer, for example, in Stanislav oh, Lem's work, or as a cyborg, which which teaches us that even low tech is relative. What 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 seemed <laughs> really high tech at at some point um, of history uh, now seems less so. Uh, right. But but the, <laughs> but going back to the the 
question of 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 your writing and 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 your connecting of of war and the golem for for this fascinating project it is a book that is sometimes hard to read because some of the of 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 the descriptions wh- whether you're paraphrasing um uh, a work that that you're analyzing or or um portraying a historical period some of the descriptions are 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 monstrous because we're we're dealing with a monster the book is titled modern wars um and their monsters and um i do want to know whether there were parts that proved particularly difficult to write for you and how it feels when wars are still very much part of our reality in the world So you mean you don't enjoy reading descriptions of <laughs> mutilation and <laughs> no, of course one derives some trauma. pleasure one derives yeah. some pleasure from it. it's which is um my answer is that this is all very very mediated um that precisely because it's the golem we have a kind of distancing that happens always um not in every text but there is a i, I mean a very creative also on the part of the authors not only on the part of the golem makers they describe but a really creative attempt to kind of bridge um mythology and you know realism maybe when it comes to these texts so this may may explain also why it's a successful metaphor and oftentimes allegory but but um I think like some other works that deal, you know, with war in a much more direct manner might be more difficult. Now I'm not saying I understand that you had no, you know, no. there are moments in the text that that deal with that. But for me, I guess the narrative the the narrativization or the the plotting that that the golem allows, that the story allows, the repetition too, I think is something soothing in a way. Um, you know, we talk about kind of repeating um that that it helps work through ideas um and i think that the authors latch on to something that is known a golem story and make it and change it up and make it different and they repeat with difference that way and it allows you to approach something that is unknown um that's more scary and frightening but yeah i can i mean it's a horror, no. horrible and horror figure and um um you I know mean, at I some mean, point when you work on it so much you become desensitized to the horror of it or as 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 you just said there's certainly a a a good deal of of sublimation in in involved in the works that you analyze themselves and in in your own book um and and I I think you're uh pointing out something um very very important uh, about about this project and um you you really show how the golem enables us to to work through these monstrous events and your book is timely for another reason we we talked about war we took we talked about technology you have also written um an article last november uh for the newspaper the forward um and you and you showed in that article that people still use the golem as a metaphor um and 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 in fact the 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 golem wa- was used as as a metaphor in um uh, very recently in reaction to um leaders that brand themselves as uh, saviors and 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 we see this national nationalist surge 
around the world and um you you responded to it and i would love you to to elaborate on that for our listeners yeah um so surprisingly my book launch was scheduled at, in ann arbor at the literati bookstore was scheduled for the day after the elections and i thought we would be celebrating <laughs> um uh triumph <laughs> of some kind over a, a different monster <laughs> Um, and it wasn't the case. And I, the day of the book launch, I, I revised my ideas and and talked about um, about this this Trump golem metaphor and and really about how it you know has developed and gone like exceeded our own control and became something we didn't expect it to become. Um, so that was a very hard. <laughs> day for everyone um, here in Ann Arbor, specifically, and for us. And then um, and then following the book launch, um, people in the audience really urged me to say something about it in public and write an op-ed. Um, so that's how that came into being. And and really, in the op-ed, it's less my views, actually, on, on the situation, but more tracing how throughout the whole campaign, in the Israeli and American press, there have been comparisons, and British and Canadian, sorry, there have been comparisons of Trump to a golem, and the the, the focus was that that really um, that he has done things beyond our expectations, but also grown in his power and his capacities beyond what was expected. Um, and the question was, who made this golem? And one of the answers was the media um, created Trump. That the media has created the Trump phenomenon, and now it's. You know, the media doesn't love it anymore <laughs> um, because Trump is anti-media, some of the media or a lot right. of the mainstream media, um, the so-called fake news. Uh, so so that's that was kind of an interesting play. But I was also fascinated that after the elections, um, the neo-Nazi Richard Spencer um, called the media a golem, um, basically suggesting, again, that um for him, it was more about the kind of soullessness and 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 you know troublemaking power of the media. But um, you know the the ultimate message under that was very anti-Semitic, right? Mm -hmm. um, even though he didn't use the word Jews. So what's interesting in here is that the golem becomes you know a metaphor that that crosses boundaries, that's used by the media, about leaders, by leaders, about the media. Kind of that all the time transgresses its boundaries. It cannot be contained. It cannot be used, you know, to describe one thing or another because it's constantly, you know, evolving and exceeding what we expect it to become. The metaphor itself, you know, has this potential. Has right. This potential. And th this is why I, I saw that article at, in the foreword, which I highly recommend, as a continuation of your book. Um, right. It's where I talk about monsters, you know, metaphors as monsters. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think we should end here with the word monsters, of course. And I want to thank you for joining the New Books Network today. Um, talking thank you so about much for having me on the network. And it's a pleasure to talk about with you and to talk about the book. It was a pleasure to talk about the book with you. It's Golem, Modern Wars and Their Monsters, published by New York University Press. We will um, include a link to, to the book and maybe to the article in the foreword as well. 
Thank you very much, Maya Barzilai, Assistant Professor of Hebrew Literature and Jewish Culture at the University of Michigan. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you.